Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Let me be the last to wish you a Merry Christmas and maybe be the first to wish you Happy New Year. Did you all have a good Christmas? Yeah. I know uh, I know we did. We uh, had the privilege of my daughter from Florida came up uh, last weekend. And so we had to celebrate. And my son and my granddaughter and my daughter-in-law came down from Toledo. And so we had to celebrate. We got to celebrate last week. And then we had the privilege of uh, hosting my wife's family on Christmas Eve. And then my wife and I, Marcia, were empty nesters, so we had an opportunity to celebrate a quiet Christmas on Friday. Our son came over for dinner, and then he had to go because the Cavs were playing the Warriors in a rematch at 5 o'clock, but it was really, it was really nice. So um, there was a question that we put on Facebook this week regarding um, what is one of the most unforgettable Christmas memories that you had, and I think everybody was preoccupied with Christmas, and so there was uh, no responses to, the, to this probing question. So uh, prepared as I would be, I had a couple of stories. One, uh, one unforgettable thing for us was uh, we had a tradition that we started with our children, and that was to always give them pajamas on Christmas Eve. And that had a practical parenting um, perspective from it because we would normally be at grandma's, and uh, the kids would always fall asleep in the car on the way home. And the last thing you wanted to do was wrestle three children and put them in their pajamas when you got home. You wanted to just kind of be done with it. So we always gave them pajamas for Christmas Eve. And they're always really excited about their new pajamas. So today we still carry on some of that tradition. This year, my daughter gave my wife pajamas. And uh, and she gave herself a matching pair. So it was kind of nice now that it's self-contained. I don't have to give pajamas anymore. But uh, one of the most unforgettable memories I had is we started a new tradition one year. Um, one year I just got tired of the kids tearing through all the presents. And then by, you know, like 9.30 in the morning, it's like, is that all there is? You know, isn't there anything else? And I didn't think that we were fully appreciating it. So the following year, I introduced a new family tradition. And that was that uh, each member of our family had to select a gift to save and not open until Christmas night before they went to bed. Now, the year that I started that, there was wailing and gnashing of teeth in my, in my household. My kids, I can still remember them. Dad, that's not the way this works. And I said, well, let's try something different. And it was always fun to see their reaction because their personalities come out. One of my children would always save the smallest gift until the end. And then the other ones were more adventurous, and they would oftentimes save the largest thing because they wanted to be surprised. And then the psychology of the gifts that we gave them started playing in so that we could try to trick them to see what they were going to get that evening. Well, that was kind of unforgettable. The other one was uh, I'm probably not as proud of is, is uh, it was early on in our marriage, and we were celebrating with my wife's family. And we did um, uh, drawing them names so you don't have to buy everybody a gift. You just buy that one special person who you draw their name, get that gift. Well, this year, that, that particular year, we go through, and we did this on Christmas Eve, everybody opens their gifts, and it comes to my turn. 
And that year I got cold in my stocking because my name had been left off of the list. So nobody got my name. Yeah, you can say it. Aww. So, you know, I try to put on this brave face. Oh, no, that's okay. You know, this false humility. No, that's okay. And I went home that night, and first I was mad. Then I was uh, sad because of my selfishness. And, and what's unforgettable for me is I still remember sitting on the couch uh, in the dark, stewing over this, and the Holy Spirit convicted my heart and said, you know, it's not about the material good. He just reminded me of the greatest gift that I had ever received in my life, and that was the presence of him in my life. And so I, I never really, really want to forget that moment and carry it with me always on on Christmas. Well, speaking of pajamas, um, I... Uh, do you remember a scene from the movie A Christmas Story? I know some right up here, the Charlie family, have a special place in their heart for this movie. I always, this was my favorite part. Um, take a look at the screen, speaking about pajamas, and can you, do you remember this one? Can we play the video? Well, how many can you relate to Ralphie? Okay. I know I certainly can. We all have Aunt Claire's in our lives, don't we? And uh, we've all felt like Ralphie, I know I, I do oftentimes, and maybe it's not in pink crazy pajamas, but there's times that someone would say something or something would happen, and you kind of feel like that. Well, that was the comic relief of the morning, so we want to get on with the message. I want to deal with the issue of the days after Christmas. This morning I've just titled the message, The Days After Christmas, along with the socks and underwear. And, uh, um, you know, as much as I like the holiday season... Right about now, in the days following Christmas, uh, I understand that some of us sometimes feel almost maybe like a hangover. Uh, I don't mean from too much eggnog over Christmas um, or anything else you might imbibe in. I mean an emotional and sometimes a spiritual letdown. You know, maybe it's just me, but all the hustle and bustle of getting ready, all of the preparations that go on, uh, all the stuff that goes with the gift giving, you know, the cleaning and the decorating and the shopping and the cooking, and then the cleaning again, and the cleaning again, and the cleaning again. It kind of wears me out, doesn't it? Um, I agree with the 20th century humorist Ken Hubbard when he says, next to Christmas, there ain't nothing that packs up and tears out faster than the Christmas spirit. You can probably relate to that. There's truth in that statement. You know, isn't it funny how some of the rudest people become some of the nicest people in December? Some of the meanest cats that you know become some of the Nicest, some of the most selfish people that you sometimes have interaction with become some of the warmest and the gentlest that you see. Sometimes the transformation is unbelievable. I, I think of the Scrooge story in Bob Cratchit, and there has a lot to do with that when it comes to the month of December. Well, today, before we jump into the new year and before we put Christmas uh, away and we look at it in our rearview mirror, I thought today we could take just a couple of stops along the way to consider some of the days after Christmas and see how some of the biblical characters responded. Maybe it'll give us some insight on, on how we can respond and some things that we can learn to make the most of every day that God gives us. So let's start with a glimpse at the days after Christmas of the shepherds. Now, I think you're all familiar enough with the story that comes in Luke chapter 2, so let's pick it up right in the middle of it and read Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. The scripture says this, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried, the scripture says, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Then when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to him, had said to them. Well, this was quite a God encounter for the shepherds, wasn't it? Can you imagine what it must have been like in the days after Christmas for the shepherds? The Bible says that they had seen the baby Jesus. And what did they do? They went out and they told everybody that they saw. They couldn't contain it. I mean, they just couldn't keep it quiet. Have you ever had someone tell you something so exciting that you felt compelled to run out and tell everyone else? Today, we see it so often through social media. I mean, news gets out faster than you, you can keep it. I had a situation this summer where my great-nephew's mother learned of his engagement through social media before he could even tell her in person. That was awkward at their house for a while, but they worked through that. Well, the shepherds went out and told everybody they saw because it was such fabulous good news. Um, They were compelled as maybe too light of a word to retell their experience. First, it was probably hard for them to get over the fact that as as peasant blue-collar workers, they were some of the first ones to hear this good news and experience Christ. And think about it. They went to see the Christ child and experience him firsthand. It was a firsthand experience for them. That in itself is incredible. Think about it. God couldn't, God could have engineered it and felt like, uh, hey, I want to get the word out, so let's tell the political leaders. I'll do a, you know, I'll do a favor for the political leaders, get on their good side, and I'll tell them to say, hey, you should know this first, that the Son of God is coming, the Christ child is coming. Or um, in today's event, they would have probably told the media first. You know, they would have brought in the Jerusalem Gazette or the Bethlehem Dispatch and did a blast about what was happening. Hey, the King of Kings has arrived, and that's really big news. But instead, God chose to do it differently. He told shepherds first. Have you ever wondered why shepherds were entrusted with the good news of the Messiah? Why shepherds? Well, I think the unusual circumstances of the birth, the place where the baby was born really allowed the shepherds to feel quite comfortable with their surroundings. I'm not sure politicians would have come to the stable. I'm not sure the news media would have come to a barn and looked in a trough and even realized what was happening in the world. But uh, I think the shepherds were probably out there scratching their heads and saying, of all the people, why us? Why Why did he tell us? Well, the Bible paints for us quite a picture of praise. Look at how it describes the shepherd's response in verse 20. It says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and they had seen, which were just as they had been told. So the angel came and described it, and then they went and they saw it. And it was just like they said. Unbelievable. And so their response was they praised God for what, that they had been included in witnessing this miracle. But they also praise God for his truthfulness. You see, for centuries, the coming of the Messiah had been prophesied, had been foretold. And they were the first ones to see it come about firsthand. Wow. Things were exactly as they had been told. 
They found Mary and Joseph. They found the baby Jesus, just as God had promised. Well, that was the shepherds. Next, what about the days after Christmas for Mary and Joseph? What what did it feel like for them? What a transitional time it must have been for them. You know, all that they had gone through, and now they become new parents. The questions are now answers, and all the doubts that they must have felt leading up to that were were all satisfied. Those doubts faded. I mean, think about it for a second. For months they had been thinking, did I really hear the angel speak to me about this? Was that just a dream, or, or should I pinch myself? Was that the real thing? Did I hear it right? Then when all of a sudden the shepherds and come with their message and the angels that had spoken to him, I think Mary and Joseph had to look at each other and just know that this was God's validation. I mean, it was uh, his confirmation that all this was happening just in the way that he said it would. It wasn't something they imagined. It, it really did happen. And then like any new parent, the responsibilities of parenthood sink in pretty quickly, don't they? And this baby... This baby, you know, gosh, there was no pampers, there was no wet wipes. It was just all of a sudden the realization that you're a mom and a dad. Get used to it and dive in. Well, I love the way the scripture describes Mary's response. This, I always look for the scripture to see what Joseph's response was. Oh man, here we go, right? But look at Mary's response in verse 19. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them, considered them, reflected on them in her heart. You know, um, the very first book that author, famous author Max Licato wrote was called uh, God Came Near. And in that book, he had uh, a chapter filled with questions that if he had the opportunity to interview Mary, he was going to ask her. Listen to these. He writes, um, how did he act when he got his first haircut? Did you ever come home with a black eye? Did you ever see him with a distant look in his face as if he was listening to someone who you couldn't see that was there? When he saw a lamb being slaughtered, did he react any differently? What do you think he thought when he saw a prostitute offering the highest bidder for a body that he had created? Did the thought ever occur to you, Mary, that the God whom you were praying and who was nursing at your breast was asleep under your own roof. Well, that's what it must have been like to have all these different questions going through your mind as Mary and Joseph as they are pondering this thing, this child that is to be the Messiah. And, you know, then the thought of, well, I know he's supposed to be the Messiah, but when will other people know? I, I love the New Year's Eve this scenario because those same doubts, those same questions were portrayed in, in the drama. When will people... Realize that I'm, I'm not crazy, that um, we really did live in purity. When will the neighbors and the relatives realize that I told the truth and that we waited until we got married before we consummated our relationship? And the list probably just goes on and on. But the days after Christmas, the reality of this child really had to sink in for, for Mary and Joseph. There was no turning back. This is the course that God had chartered for them. And uh, as Mary said earlier, let it be done unto me as you have said. And they followed God's will and they raised the child who went on to save them, to save you, to save me, and to save all mankind.
Well, there's another group of individuals, another cast of characters in the Bible related to the days after Christmas, and that was the Magi. Uh, Take a look at at their experiences described in in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. These are the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now that line means when the king's upset, the kingdom is upset. Okay? When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country on another route. These uh, scholars from the East, traditionally called wise men, recognized something that few others did. First, they they saw the star and they followed it where it led them. I've always kind of wondered... Um, didn't other people see the star? Didn't they wonder what else was going on, or was it just a prophetic revelation to these wise guys? I, I, I'm not sure about that. But second, um, they knew from reading the scriptures that this was the Christ child, the Messiah. And so they came prepared to worship him, both in a reverent spiritual way in a practical, tangible way. Reverend spiritual way, they bowed down, Scripture says, and they worshipped him. They, they, they prostrated themselves before this baby, uh, this mangy baby in this mangy ma- manger in a trough. And yet they humbled themselves in all, their, in all their array. And then they gave precious treasures to what they recognized was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as it was appropriate to their customs. These guys got it. I mean, it was traditional for kings to receive precious gifts. And these guys had the insight to know and recognize the Christ child as the Messiah. They, they understood the significance of what was happening and that this child, this baby, was a game changer for all eternity. Well, there's one last observation I want to make about this scripture before we go on. Um, It's not normally spoken about. As a matter of fact, I've never heard it talked in church before, so you can take it that you heard it here first. But this portion of Scripture gives biblical evidence, actual proof, that not all men are afraid to stop and ask for directions. I'm just saying. So, when Christmas finally comes and 
and uh, goes from there, um, we see something different. Now, there's one last area. There's one last group of people that we need to talk about on how they react on the days after Christmas. And that's you and me. How do we respond? In the context of all the celebration, in the context of all the truth and all the biblical evidence, how do we view Christmas differently? And I know that we fall into different categories. For some, Christmas is a very difficult time, and you're kind of relieved it's over. Maybe this year you were you experienced a divorce or a difficult separation from someone that you were close to. Perhaps in the past year, it was a death of a loved one. Maybe it was downsizing at work and you couldn't participate or give as generously as you, as you once were, or once you were able to do it because um, you just didn't have enough funds. Maybe there was an empty seat at the table of someone, a relative or a someone close to you that couldn't make it this year for, for whatever the reason, fill in the blank. And um, quite honestly, you're, you're just kind of glad the day's over. I get that. For those of you, that's completely understandable. I want to encourage you, you made it through. It's the 27th. You got through. You got one under your belt. And that's that in itself is an accomplishment. I, I, I remember the first Christmas after my father had passed away. And uh, it was really difficult. Uh, it wasn't a joyous celebration for me that year. It was just, can we just get through the holidays? We just kind of trudged through. I remember praying, Lord, please just help me get through it. There are moments for many in the month of December when the celebrations and the parties, they just kind of seem hollow. They just kind of all blend together. But somehow, God sustains you. You can't wait for Christmas to be over because in your mind you see it as a transition day when... After that, maybe things will return to normal, whatever normal is today for, for anybody. And if that is the season you find yourself in, I want you to know, too, that, that that's okay. We all go through those seasons. And again, you made it through, and you can dive in right now from there. There's another category of particular people you might find yourself, and that's people who really, really enjoy the season. I mean, they love the craziness. It's fun. It's festive. They just love it. Some of them love it so much that after the day after Christmas, they like going shopping some more. My wife gives me a look because she enjoys going shopping the next day. And man, you couldn't drag me out. But, you know, when Christmas finally comes and goes, there's a part of us that just goes, whew, I'm kind of glad that's over. Whoa, I'm Glad that's behind me. Now I can forget about it until next Christmas, next December. We'll get on it, do it from there. I have to say, uh, um, earlier in the week, um, our organization had the privilege of hosting Governor Kasich and his cabinet for their year-end state of the, the state of Ohio report, and it was a it was a real honor to do it. Um, there was media and VIPs and all that crazy stuff. And security was kind of high because Governor Kasich is a presidential candidate this year. So there was Secret Service. And that part was, you know, kind of cool. They're all talking into their sleeves and stuff. It was kind of weird. But, um, you know, now as I reflect on it, I'm glad it's over. Because it, there was really a lot of preparation going into it. And then, bang, an hour and a half and it was all over. And we're tearing it down again. And 
It's kind of like Christmas, you know, you get ready and you get ready and you get ready and then bang, it's all over and you go, what, what, you know, what's next? Now, the good part of, of it is we not only got some visibility of it, which was cool, but it, it uh, caused us to clean our entire building really well before the end of the year. So, you know, there's always this hidden, this hidden gem in there that, uh, that is there. But, um, you know, there's some of us that, you know, we pour so much into the holidays. We get so excited about But when it comes, for some of us, there's this letdown, this emotional letdown, because now, you know, it's all over. And you go home today and you realize that all those things that you put up now have to come down. All those trips you made from the basement bringing stuff up, you now get to repeat and bring them all back down. I know for me, when I go to take away my Christmas lights and I look back, I go, what was I thinking four weeks ago? And the weather was nice and now it's not so nice. And and then what happens is um, almost a certain grayness comes around. I don't know about you, but right now my house is really festive. The church, I've noticed this in the church, and, and so let's pray for our decorating team coming in to the new year, because everything's festive, you know, we got the trees and we got the lights and all that kind of stuff, and then, you know, bang, after the holiday season, it all kind of goes back to normal, and it, it just seems a little gray. All the greens and all the reds turn into light gray, because it just all goes back to what was before, and you think about, oh, you know... Here we go, the uneventful existence through the daily grind. Well, I just want to say to us today, it doesn't have to be that way. The days after Christmas, the second advent that we're living out in anticipation of Christ coming again, doesn't have to be mundane. It doesn't have to be let down. I like the way the Apostle Paul said it in Colossians 4, 5. He says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Folks, this is an opportunity for us. You see, the Christian life isn't one of just getting by. It's one of pressing on, isn't it? It is day in and day out, fleshing out for others what what it means to follow Christ, what it means to have received this greatest gift, and how it impacts our life. Our past is forgiven, but as importantly, our future is already settled. So we try and reach those outside of Christ through our actions. That's what we've tried to do through the month of December. This whole socks and underwear series for us has been this ramp up to try to recognize um, the goodness of the season. And, and, And in this season, people are oftentimes more open to spiritual truths and to... And to, and to virtues like kindness and generosity and those types of things. Some of it's cultural, but much of it's spiritual. There's this sensitivity and this awareness. So maybe you invited somebody to Christmas Eve, or maybe you've been praying for your top five just to see that they would be impacted by the love of Christ and somehow that they would get the message that's been being conveyed, that there is this guy named Jesus. And he tr- will transform your life as you put your trust in him. So, um, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says it this way. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Here's what I want us to see. See, it doesn't matter if it's December 25th, if it's the 26th, if it's the 27th. It, it, it makes no difference if it's Easter or it's the day after the 4th of July We're called as Christians to make the most of every opportunity that we have, day in and day out, the exciting times, the eventful times, the holidays, 
but all the days that follow the holidays as well. Decide that we're going to be faithful. God is still God, even in the mundane moments and, and in the routines of life. You see, Jesus is still Lord after the holidays. Every day belongs to him. Now, there's part of us that's drawn to Christmas Day and to make the day special that all society creates. And there's a lot of them. But here's where I think we can sometimes miss out and we, we misunderstand this business of Christianity. We think that when we commit our life to Christ, we're, we're doing it in one sweeping motion. Um, you know, we say, I'm yours, Lord. I'm ready to go out in a blaze of glory for you. You know, we think about it this way. If you think about your life, like let's just say a $10,000 bill, right? That, let that amount just represent life and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to lay it all down for you. I'm going to put it on the altar of sacrifice. Here, Lord, take me. I'm all yours. But, you know, life doesn't really work like that, does it? That's not reality in my world. It's not quite that simple. In actuality, it's probably more like this. You take your life worth $10,000. You take that $10,000 bill and you go to the bank. And you exchange it for quarters. Right? And then you start living out your Christian life. A quarter here, a quarter there, a quarter here, a quarter there, a lunch here, a prayer time there, an arm around the shoulder here, crying with someone who's lost something there, um, serving in church the days after Christmas, serving the homeless in the month of January and February when nobody's looking Serving outside with gratitude and love for what Christ has done for us day in and day out. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's, that's not one of my favorite scriptures. How about you? I love the salvation and the redemption and all that stuff. But that picking up that cross every day sometimes is a real rub. And so we see the necessity of recognizing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do that. To walk every day in newness of life. And uh, I wonder, what would God do if we weren't sometimes afraid to completely really go all in with him and fully give our lives to him without any any reservations. And I think his response would be, okay, let me start doing something different in your life. And I'll start with the way that you talk to your spouse or the way you address your children. Or he might say, let me uh, do this new thing in your life and how you treat your coworkers and what your attitude is towards the, the person giving you your morning coffee before you've had your happy thoughts. It's, it's, it's God asking us to give him, give him our lives. And then what's he want to do with that? Well, much like we've seen, he wants us to share that, to spread that around. I, I'm, I'm so excited about the upcoming series because it's a practical way of helping us share the very good news that we've been celebrating for the whole last month as we celebrate Advent and, and as we celebrate Christmas. One person said it best this way. Our generation is crying for something different 
something higher and something beyond this world. See, I think our world is just tired of waking up and getting by. I think people are tired of trying to advance their own agenda for their own selfish means. They're looking for more, something with more meaning. Because they go through the routines and they don't end up at a different place at the end of the day than they were the day before. They get disillusioned from that. Instead of another meaningless day, I think people desperately want something that's worth living for, something that's worth dying for. Not for some here-today, gone-tomorrow, self-centered lifestyle. It was one of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, wrote it like this. God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. How about you? I want to be one of those people that God would use to do things that are beyond what people could imagine. How about you? That's the kind of Christian experience that, that I want to have. Well, let me just wrap it up by giving you three quick applications that I believe come right out of Scripture from our text here in Luke 2 and in Matthew chapter 2 as well. You might want to jot these down if you have a pencil. The first is, the majority of the Christian life takes place in your everyday existence, not in the special days. Christmas is not a switch that we just turn on and off and during this season and then go off and do nothing the days following. Now... Believe me, I I realize who's in the service this morning. I know I'm singing to the choir. You're the cream of the crop. You're the faithful ones. You're the really ones committed to the church because you'll come out on a rainy Sunday morning after, you know, a busy season. And and you probably all went to church on Thursday night or Friday anyhow. So it's like, do I really have to come back to church on Sunday? I mean, I did get my ticket punched earlier in the week. So I understand. I'm talking to the cream of the crop. You are the faithful. But... uh, With that in mind, let me say this. We who received the best gift ever in the person of God himself, Jesus Christ, are to live out the Christmas stories all the days after Christmas. We're to do it every day, day in and day out. And I know all of us are a work in progress, and the Lord is sharpening and molding us into his image. St. Paul says it probably best to the Philippian church in the New Testament who applies to us today in in, in Philippians 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. See, the good news is we're not on our own. We can't do this on our own strength. We have to trust in Christ to do that. Well, here's the second takeaway. Faithfulness and consistency are the marks of maturity in a Christian. You see, the shepherds went out and they were Never the same again. The Magi came and their lives were transformed. They had experienced the Messiah and the Christ child. And they went and uh, faithfully walked out their lives. They were never the same again. And although there was really only one first Christmas, from that point on, there has to be faithfulness and consistency to live out our calling. That, would, that means that we just love and serve God as much, as, as much today as we did on Christmas Eve. Maybe even more so because daily we, we find this renewal. I like the way Chris DeWalt, he's a professor at missions, of missions at Ozark Christian College. Listen to this. He says, I am to be the same person whether I'm holding a communion tray in my hand or whether I'm holding a remote control. Okay, man, that was a poke at all of us. I'm to be the same person whether I'm in a hotel room 500 miles away from home or whether I'm in the family room with my children and my wife. I'm to be the same person whether I'm reading my Bible or whether I'm browsing through the Barnes & Noble bookstore or the newsstand with all those magazines. 
I'm to be the same person, whether I'm on break at work or I'm walking through the sanctuary of my church. For what matters is my integrity, my purity, my consistency, my faithfulness. And you know what? He's right. That's the challenge. There'll be times when we're tempted to throw in the towel, but don't give up too soon. I like the way uh, Chuck Swindoll says it. He says it this way. When the wrappings and the ribbons are in the trash can, the manger scene is back in the attic, and the friends and family have said goodbye, and the house feels empty, and so do you. There is one who, who waits to fill our, your heart and renew your hope. He was there on December 25th. He'll be there on the 26th and the 27th, and for all eternity. And his name is Jesus. Interpreted Emmanuel, God is with us. He's with us today. Well, there's one more takeaway that I want to show you, and that is just um, for us to be like the shepherds and the wise men and spread the word. That's what they did. And we should just be following their example. It only stands to reason that if Jesus is really Lord of our lives, if he's really the best gift that we've ever given, then we can't contain it to ourselves. We're going to want to tell everybody else that we know. The the noted poet Schubert once said it this way, What I possess in my heart, I will share with the world. So if Jesus Christ is the greatest gift ever, then we'll want to share that because it's a... It's a 24-7, it's a 365-day-a-year experience for us. We can't keep it to ourselves. We'll want to tell other people. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's transformational. Now... Most of you were here throughout the last month and heard the sermon series preached by Ross and Jeremy throughout, uh, throughout December. They spoke about, remember, the qualities that make the greatest gift, what makes a gift great. They talked about that. They talked about how the gift would have to have both time and thought that would go into it if it was really going to be meaningful. They talked about uh, how it strikes a personal chord or you can relate to it personally if it's going to be really meaningful, how it might enhance the relationship. But they also spoke about how a really great gift requires a sacrifice that someone has made. And if you recall, they shared how Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of those qualities. How he never becomes obsolete. He never is outdated. There's not a 2.0 of Jesus Christ. There's not an I-6 of Jesus Scripture tells us he's the same today, yesterday, forever. And he's always with us. So I'm glad that Jesus has stood the test of time and he will for all eternity. He, you know, and here's the, here's the real deal. He provides us with something that no other person, no other thing could ever supply for us. And his name is Jesus Because as the prophets from long ago proclaimed, he will save his people from their sins. You know, it just reminds me of the Christmas card that says it so well. Maybe you've read it. It said, if man's greatest need had been for pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If man's greatest need would have been for money, he would have sent a financial consultant. 
If God's, if man's greatest need would have been for more information and more data, he would have sent an educator. But God in his infinite wisdom knew that man's greatest need, he knew that our greatest need was the forgiveness of sin. So he sent himself as the Savior. Scripture puts it like this. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto us a child is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. And he is Christ the Lord. Pray with me, please. Father, the news of your son's coming to earth is, is absolutely huge. And it really doesn't matter whether it's Christmas or it's the days after. We thank you for the gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift. We thank you that Jesus Christ is consistent, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And may we model him in our lives every day of the year. And it's in Jesus' matchless name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.